My name's Richard. This is We're Not Wizards. And uh, tonight's episode is going to be a slightly different one. It's kind of like, we're going to call it a getting to know you episode. And the reason we're going to be doing that is because um, I've been speaking on and off for a gentleman by the name of um, John Reed Denton, who is basically one of the one of the gentlemen that runs a company called Cover Intervention Games. So the idea is we're going to find out a little bit, well, quite a lot about about John. Uh, read to his friends, John to everybody else out there, and uh, hopefully you will. Um, everybody will find out something new and something exciting. Good evening, John, or Reed, or John. <laughs> I don't know, because you said my friends call me Reed and people that kind of don't know me call me John, so hopefully we can start off the beginning by, I can call you John at the beginning and by the end maybe I can call you just Mr. Denton. <laughs> oh, let's not go that far. Uh, thanks, Richard. I but, appreciate it. <laughs> But hello to you. I mean, first of all, thank you for thank you for coming on the show. Well, thank you um, for having us. It's really kind of you. No, it's it's um, you know it's it's always good to speak to somebody new, as he would say. And we're not going to start singing the song from the Sound of Music or anything like that. We're not going to go that far. But um, it's good to have you on and find out just find out obviously a little bit about yourself, and find out you know quite as much as we can about cover into intervention games and what you guys are doing and what you're up to but before we do that as we say the, there's a couple of reasons why we do this the um the first reason is that that we f- strongly believe from our hearts that there are simply there's not enough podcasts out there about board games i've checked <laughs> done a, done research and i think my itunes is broken because uh, I don't know if it's maybe the way I'm spelling board or tabletop, but I'm certainly just getting DIY stuff. Um, the, se- <laughs> the second, the second reason that we do this is because, um, as we said, it's always nice to learn about something new and and make and and make a new friend, as they would say on Sesame Street. So, um, but no, I mean starting off. Um, do you want to tell us a little bit about how you got into into the hobby your hobby yourself? Um, oh. from your hum, you know, from your beginnings, and that would be that'd be cool. Oh, Richard, that's a very good question. I'm glad you asked that. Uh, I guess you know the first first way I got into the hobby is as I was, when I was about four years old. My father bought me my first big big container of plastic U.S. Army men, and uh, all right. And it was actually came in a giant 155 millimeter howitzer round case. It was really awesome. So I had this ammo crate that used to have howitzer rounds just full of army men, plastic tanks, and everything else. So at four, I had the little little army men gene installed, I guess you might say. And my dad and I used to spend hours uh, throwing marbles and crap at that stuff and just... <laughs> You know, having a having a good time, and you know, for some reason, I always won when I was playing my dad, and I don't know how that happened. Yeah. He was really good, you know. So, <laughs> um, but that that got it started, and you know, and then from there, uh, a few years later, there was a a young man named Scott who lived around the corner from me. I grew up in Arkansas. And if you've never been to Arkansas at that time, you know there there wasn't a heck of a lot going on in terms of the game scene back in those yeah. days. This was in the in the mid '80s, I'd say. And okay. Scott played with these little, you know, lead figures that were really interesting. And, and then later he showed me Space Marines and Rhinos and stuff like that. 
Mm-hmm. And I discovered Games Workshop. And I may have been one of the few people in all of the state of Arkansas at the time that bought the first Rogue Trader rulebook. And from there, I was I was sold. I was into the hobby. I was learning to paint horribly, of course. But then, you know, I well, got better. <laughs> I mean, you have to paint horribly. I mean, yeah. that's the rule. Yeah, you know? yeah. <laughs> Uh, and then uh, from there, we, we transitioned straight away into you know, bigger and bigger hobby. Uh, later, you know, we tried some more complex games like Battletech and, and some yeah. of those other games, too, and, and had a ball with those as well. Uh, and then eventually, you know, I, I went into a variety of different uh, job roles and, and climbed up the corporate ladder for a different number of different companies, you know, from GE, mm-hmm. GE and uh, later on... Uh, the government work and the military itself. I've got 23 years in the U.S. Army. Oh, right. Okay. Yeah. So from there, at some point, I I had a friend who was uh, kind of kind of uh, a manager there, I'd say, at Games Workshop. And what he did is, is one day I was telling him I was thinking about leaving the government and going into something else. And he said, well, why don't you interview with us? I, <laughs> I said, you know, I was like, Games yeah, Workshop? Are yeah, you kidding course, me? Like, like, you know. Army, 40K, I mean... Yeah, yeah, I mean, it, it was a good... You know, he was a former Marine, so and he was a good friend, right. you know, and, and I trusted him, so... I interviewed, I figured, what the heck, I couldn't lose anything, and they, they made me an offer I couldn't refuse, and so I signed on a Games Workshop for about three years as a regional wow. manager and later as a director. And, really? Uh, yeah, yeah. Uh, in the U.S., it was a great company. Um, for yeah. me, me, some things changed, and so I stepped away from the business, and... We, uh, we we transitioned back to government work, and then this opportunity came up, and we started a game company from it. So that kind of so, my whole hobby. So peddling back a bit, I mean, do you have a substantial collection of Games Workshop, or were you one of these, were you kind of like the kid in the cookie jar that you ended up not wanting to take too much home, or were you the guy that, you know... And here is my orc room, and here is my marine room. Uh, and no, the cupboard has got my dark elves in it, but you we know, don't talk about them. Yeah, I, well, that would be in the pleasure room, but that's a whole different story from, from Fifty Shades of Grey. Uh, <laughs> it's yeah. got velour and yeah. magic in it, and yeah. that's all you need to know. Well, it smells of rich mahogany, what can I say? The, oh my goodness. Yeah, the, no, I have, yeah, I've got a game room that's that was uh, pretty sizable. I, I think, mm-hmm. you know, I, I had to move off some of my stuff. I, I was, get, I was just had too much stuff and yeah. it was just, I wasn't getting enough play time with it. I still have a sizable force of a variety of different things. I was huge Gene Steeler fan. Uh, I, have, really? I have an original Gene Steeler cult army before G- games workshop got rid of all the bits. I bought out, I think pretty much everything left in the really Gene Steeler bits bins that were available. So is this pure, are you a pure Gene Steeler guy, or did you let the occasional Tyranid kind of sneak in there as well? Uh, I've got a few Tyranids here and there. Uh, I think i got some Termagants <laughs> sitting around here somewhere. But the, no, no, no. I'm just I mean, imagining you kind of like going through your cupboards to say, right, okay, I'm sure we had a, I'm sure we had a spare dishcloth in here, or here's something. Oh, look, there's a couple more Gene Steelers. <laughs> yeah, those little buggers get in everywhere. Yeah. <laughs> It was like that, yeah. So, you know, and then it was it was negatively impacting like my living room at one point. So we, we yeah. had to we had to uh, find some better storage solutions, I'll say. And then from there, we, 
yeah, I mean, I was a huge Space Hulk fan a long time mm-hmm. ago as well. Um, Love the three-minute timer concepts. I mean, there's a lot of good mechanics in, in Space Hulk from a, yeah. a game development perspective as well as just from a plain fun around the table perspective. Uh, that was huge, so much so, and everybody knew I was such a huge uh, Space Hulk fan that at one point I was deployed to Baghdad with the Army Reserves while I was with, with Games Workshop. All right. And to Games Workshop's credit, they... They, they knew I wanted a Space Hulk box set when they first reintroduced it. Was and that the 20... What year was that? The 2014 or the... No, the 2010? 2009, 2010. All right, okay, yeah. So they actually sent me one while I was in Baghdad. Like, just sent me a copy of it. And there's there's pictures of me somewhere where I'm like, giggity. I sent it all back. <laughs> you know, I I said thank you so many different ways. Because that, that, was, that was showing, you know... Yeah, uh, some some real good stuff as a. Did as a you company. did you play when you were out there then? Did you get a chance? Did you, did you just wait? Well, if I if I open this up, there's going to be kind of like grit and sand and. Oh, that wasn't you know. a worry. Although the sand is horrible there, the the problem was is good luck finding super glue in Baghdad. It just wasn't going to happen. Like, <laughs> like su- su- model tip there. <laughs> super glue, primer, plastic glue. You you weren't finding it. And if you well, order it, and we paint? attempted to order it. We attempted to order it, but like if you Did have you? if you have plastic glue or super glue shipped to you, or even paint shipped to you, yeah, chances are it's going to be dry as a bone by the time it gets through Kuwait customs and then to you. It's just <laughs> forget it. It's not going to happen. <laughs> it's Did not I just happen. imagine that? It's like what's happening. Well, you know, um, we're we're coming under. You know, there's a bit of a you know the natives are getting a bit restless here. We're having to come up with a bit of insurgency and and. Uh, and John over there just can't get glue for love no more. Yeah. I mean, wet wipes and, and super glue, you just can't get enough of them, you know, when you're in the desert. So that's what you want. Is that what it, it was almost like if there was ever a black market, then that's what you're kind of, that's your kind of, that would be your item of choice to take with you. I think I had you know? to order glue eight times before I could get anything that was usable. Really? Yeah. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. Do you, I take it you still got that set then? Have you still got the that oh, Space yeah. Hulk set? Absolutely. Absolutely. Um, and it's, did you paint it up then or no I I decided mm. after that like I just I just did not at that point when I got home I wanted to spend some time you know not doing anything yeah. for a while it was a decompression point you know so, alright okay and then uh, and then I got rolled into a whole nother set of, of workflows and everything else so I was spinning up so much before anything else but it is on my list at some point you know, we, I play all scales. You know, fifteen millimeter through twenty-eight millimeter, uh, mm-hmm. and, and I've done a lot of micro armor back in the day as well. So there's there's plenty out there for scale and choice. I think right now, in terms of, of models and games available, we're spoiled for choice. I mean, um, do you? I mean, it sounds like you know skirmish and battling as you're seeing. Do you ever look at anything else in the kind of the tabletop? Scene? Are you the type of man that would hang around with cardboard, or do you like your your minis? Uh, I play you know some board games like Settlers of Catan and some of the ones that, mm-hmm. that have multiple levels of thinking and, and economy. Uh, yeah, I tend to be a thinker, uh, so you know, things that allow me multiple levels of strategy. And all right, Settlers okay. of Catan, of course, is the kind of game you start with friends and end up hating every single other person at the table. <laughs> so it's, it's just how how that game's supposed to be played. So. So you're a bit of a Euro fan then? Are you the type of guy that would get like say like something like Power Grid 
to the table. Anything where you're having to maybe have kind of like three or four moves ahead and thinking about your economy and your resources and your workers and stuff like that. Is that kind of like your bag? Yeah, it's mostly because Candyland really doesn't have much replay value. Uh, yeah. You know, I mean, <laughs> that's, that's part of it. You know, I mean, how many times can I get, you know, double orange and be excited? You know? <laughs> uh, I mean, with, I mean, so you, you spend some time out, you took a break from it all. And then how did the idea for the kind of the company come around? Where, you know, what made you think actually, I take it Games Workshop were pretty much interested in having you, you would have been able to go back to them again if you wanted to, I'm guessing. Uh, I don't know that I'd want to go back. It's, it's, hmm. it's a different company now. It's, it's not a bad, okay. you know, I still have friends that are there and they're great people and they're doing great things. And they, um, um, but they really hmm. did give me a hell, hell of an education in terms of, um, uh, you know, I was always a business kind of guy, but they, they really did help me understand how game companies can be successful or how okay. they they can be tripped up on their own grandeur. Uh, so okay. smaller companies, they've, they, you know, they have some case histories and stuff like that that they've talked about. They teach you the history of wargaming. I mean, it, there's a culture there. There's definitely a culture. Yeah. No, no, there absolutely is. I mean, um, obviously a bit of news that came out a little while ago now was the the kind of the the breakup between Games Workshop and um, Fantasy Flight. You know, my my opinion is is that Fantasy Flight is an excellent game company. Uh, Fantasy yeah. Flight is also coming out with their own games. Yeah. Uh, from from an outsider's perspective, you know, Fantasy Flight may have just become competition. So, ah, right. They're okay. making their own miniatures lines now and yeah. supporting some of that stuff too. So. You know, okay. it, it just may have been where they they decided it was time to you know not not feed that beast anymore or whatever it is they went with. Yeah, 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 yeah. cool. So, going back to yourselves then, yeah. again, what, you know, what kind of made you think, you know, actually this is my time. I've got my experience of, you know, I've, I've, I've done the big company thing. I've worked my way up to kind of like the director level where, you know, where are you, what made you think like, this is for me, I'm going to start doing something myself. Uh, I apparently have brain damage. Uh, oh. Starting a game company is not an easy thing to do. It's a, <laughs> it's a hell of a. I, I I thought it would be hard, but as I've been doing yeah. this, it's been a, it's it's a very very much a very difficult task that you have to, to want to do. Um, if 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 you're starting out and you think this is going to be fun and we're going to play games all day long, you've mm. you've already lost. <laughs> in the in the business side of it, so it, yeah. it's not. It, there's a lot of very serious, you know, money decisions that have to be made and, and stuff like that from a from a game business perspective. We were, you know, I have been percolating inside my head for a few years after I left of, of some things, and but I didn't want to just jump into something. I wanted to find the right opportunity, and and I was I was watching the markets. I was looking at the various different scales that were out there. I was looking at what the game companies were doing. I even did some mm -hmm. consulting work for a, f a few different game companies. Mm -hmm. uh, you know, some some did really well, some some not so well, depending on on what what they did. Um, I know that anytime I was working with them, they they tended to do better. The the thing I've found is that the the game industry is fractured in many different places, depending on which scale or which game system you're in. 
And when you can, yeah. when you can see it as a business and you see that there's a fracture and that there's an opportunity to make it easier on the customer or the the hobbyist or the gamer or whatever they want to they are because everybody's hobby is different. Some people just paint, some people build, collect, play games and do it all. Yeah. Some people just yeah. do a few things. When you can make it easier for a person to enjoy that hobby by just taking a couple extra steps to go, you know, in their hobby to make it easier for them to find what they're looking for and, and, and get it set up and ready for their piece of the hobby, you've, you've created an added value. So we saw an opportunity to add a lot of value, and that's, that's what we've, we've leaped on, and we, we've actually done pretty well so far in terms of working some deals and getting stuff started. So how long have you been going as a company then? We're we're about a year in, and Whoa. yeah, yeah. But we were really quiet for like the first six months. We were just testing stuff out, trying to figure out like uh-huh. you know what's what's out there. Part of part of our game systems that we built were stuff I did originally built for Department of Defense on my own, and and just for some fun stuff for them to test out and see how it worked. We tried some other different war game systems that were already out there, and we had. You know, okay. various successes or failures, you know, teaching, you know, tactics and stuff to the Army and, and to part Department of Defense. So that's, is that what you were doing? You were actually saying, okay, this is, here's an example of 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 a situation, mm-hmm. and you scale that down into kind of what, a system level, a gaming system level, and you teach people kind of tactics based around that? Uh, kind of, yeah, absolutely. Okay. We, we can We can make it that simple. Um, there's... In, in, I mean, if you want to get complicated, there's three. I, I, you know, I'm happy to get complicated. <laughs> you know, you know, there's, there's. This is this is your night, John. Oh, I mean, I'm, I'm, and I'm, you know, one of the things we like here is, you know, tell us. I mean, if people yeah. want to be educated, and we we'll always pride ourselves in letting our guests, oh, kind of tell everybody what they want to, you know, what they want to say. So yeah, let's get complicated. Oh man, nerdy as we can get. All right, let's jump down this hole. Uh, no, I'm happy with this. All right, well, there's three levels to war in real life. There's the strategic, there's the operational, and there's the tactical. Mm-hmm. And most other game systems out there are, in terms of war games, are really focusing at the operational and above. Mm-hmm. So uh, if you look at uh, Axis and Allies, that's a very strategic game. If you look at, uh, there's, there's uh, what's it, what's it called? Flames of War. That actually tends yes. to be a little bit operational. There's always bleed over between some of these different levels of war, so you'll get some tactical as well. Yeah. The reality is, is that there's only a very few companies that are putting together something that's reasonably decent for the tactical level of war. But what's happened is, what we saw is, is most of those games really get into these crazy, crazy detailed requirements and rules mechanics because they weren't able to figure out the math to do in one dice roll what what other everybody else was doing in six. Uh-huh, okay. So we've statistically you know, push that down to create the same tactical effect. And and that is the, the big goal, is to simplify yet achieve the same results tactically. So okay. when we were using other people's systems, it got bogged down, especially at the tactical level, on all these complicated, you know, uh, action reactions, um, difficulties with uh, I go, you go turn-based systems, which, which don't allow for what is the fluidity of tactical combat. Uh-huh, there's uh-huh. there's all sorts of things that just were, were crazy out there, and we we worked on a system that we originally called Millspec Bogey, which is one of the reasons that our uh, that our we, we we called it that. Uh, it's one of the reasons we we have the Bogey icon as our mascot to this uh, day. All right, okay. okay. Um, 
and so it's not just a logo it's a mascot as, as we like to joke about it uh so from there we 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 were able to really create something pretty pretty spectacular from a dod perspective or a, a military you know fun training exercise perspective it, it was great it was fantastic mm-hmm. from a tabletop gamers perspective it's missing a little something from the gamer side you know yeah. the heroism of your captain needs to be just a little bit more heroic so yeah. so we added a couple more layers to that and and as we were developing it we were trying to figure out what do we do for the line to support this who's got the best quality and the best depth because the other factor for us as a company is if you don't have the best quality out there everyone else is going to get your business so i mean not us so and and the hobbyists truly appreciate the best quality over anything else you know no one wants ugly ugly miniatures on the table it's part of the spectacle of the battlefield right no no i mean the space hulk you know well space hulk 2014 those those miniatures are breathtaking aren't they they're stunning. Absolutely. I mean, it's, and it's the point. It's the individuality of the miniatures. It's not something that looks like you have pressed fourteen units and just stuck it out there. I mean, you've got the. You you would just sit and look at them. I remember opening the box, and the box is heavy because the cardboard in there oh, is yeah. like it's oh, yeah. the thickness of bread. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Absolutely. <laughs> when you're putting these tiles down, you you feel like you're lay, you're laying like slab paving mm-hmm. slab down. Mm-hmm. You know you got to wear gloves when you put them on the table, otherwise you're going to get your fingers trapped under these tiles. Ab- these tiles. But the, Absolutely. The minis themselves, though. I mean, yeah. I mean, it it makes for a memorable game, and I think um, you know um, we'll get onto this, but you know the kicks Kickstarter seems to be minis seem to win the day for a lot of campaigns where. The mechanics maybe are a bit eggledy pickledy, you know, they're not maybe a hundred percent there. And then they say, But look at the minis and everybody goes, Oh yeah. Absolutely. And that's kinda you know, that's where you get the backing up. Absolutely, you nailed it. It's it's about the minis. So we we looked around and we were kinda excited mm. about where were we gonna find you know, a sculptor who could produce this at the level of detail we needed. Because we had two problems. At 28 millimeter, it's just too big. That's just too yeah. big. You can't fit. As I like to make jokes about a lot of things uh, for my competitors' scales, not to make fun of my competitors because I play in all those scales too. I even probably play their games. Yeah. But 28 millimeter for a realistic war game, you can't fit a platoon on the table unless you want your your team of highly trained killers to hold hands and skip as they're shooting at their enemies. They're just too big. <laughs> so. We had to go down to 20 millimeter. We didn't want to go to 15 millimeter because we didn't no. want to lose the detail on the models yeah. that makes yeah. you know the exciting factor of painting them so so fun. So we went to 20 millimeter, and as we were looking around at 20 millimeter, you know, I I, I remembered Elheim and Matt Hingley over at Elheim, and we reached out to Matt. And it we talked for a few months to figure out how to make this a, a win-win, and, and we made a. Uh, exclusive manufacturing deal where we're the only other company besides Matt that can manufacture Mm. these miniatures. And so we're packaging them just a little differently. Matt still gets all the credit, you know, Matt, Matt made these miniatures and he's working with us to create, you know, any, any miniatures we, we request, he'll help us get them, get them out there so that we can actually offer the comprehensive offering, uh, for the, the games that we create. If you buy a platoon of infantry from us, you will be able to get everything that matches the order of battle for that platoon. 
And then if you want to upgrade it with additional things that would come from mm. the battalion or company, we'll have those miniatures for you too. That's why we're we're going a little bit slower on some of our production. I mean, I could throw together molds all day long and just put out the, the same things that everybody yeah, else is. Yeah. We want a better quality product. So, so we've had to slow down a little bit, look at what we're doing, make sure that you know what we're spending the time making a, a good solid quality mold with you know meets or exceeds mats already pretty good quality level and then mm-hmm. uh, we've put together already the u.s army um, platoon deal for example and then uh, special note for your listeners is the modern russian army is coming next so all right yeah. okay so how i mean how long does it take from somebody deciding they want to make a particular model i mean how long does it take to sculpt something to get something together I mean, are you a real stickler for the detail that's going into it? Do you have, you know, how does that kind of work? We, we are a stickler for detail, but we're not, we, we also understand the limits of what you can show on a model. So mm-hmm. there are some things that we're WYSIWYG about, and there are some things that we don't sweat. Like, where is the, the antenna actually located? We may have to adjust that in order to get our tank models produced yeah. To, to the reasonable expectation of a, a detail level, we just adjust the antenna slightly to the right or to the left to meet to meet molding requirements or something like that. And that's just to get the the model in the hands of the people with the detail level that they deserve. But it's not enough that it actually changes how it works on the tabletop or that it really impacts the look of the model either. However, you know, if if we say that a model is carrying an RPG, he better have an RPG in his hands somewhere or on his body strapped to it. So, you know, that's yeah. just that's just how it works here, you know. So the, well, uh, no, there's nothing worse than somebody, you know, somebody playing with uh, particular rules and then saying, well, he's about to, um, he's about to get out his shotgun and, and do that instead. And it's like, well, where where is his shotgun? He's holding a he's holding a shovel there. Yeah, exactly. And he's just gonna have to pretend he's gonna actually yeah. holding a shotgun. Or, or you run around sho- thinking you're gonna shoot the guy in the face with a pistol, and it turns out his shovel's a shotgun. You just <laughs> really ruined your own day that day. <laughs> Yeah. Just, yeah, I hate it when gonna... that happens. I hate it. Yeah. But you see, like, dig, started digging a hole. Oh, no, it's actually a shotgun. All right, okay. Yeah. I mean, that's I not a shovel. That's no fair. <laughs> or you, you're going to take your Apache over and really just smoke the guy with a 20 millimeter cannon. It turns out that shovel's a stinger. Well, and it turns good. out that you know? <laughs> it turns out that Apache's actually a tent. Yeah, you're not getting you're not getting getting anywhere at all. With what do you mean that can of Quaker oatmeal is actually a tank? That's not cool. <laughs> yeah. Well, he wrote he did roll two d eights, so yeah, you know, exactly. He kind of get he kind of gets his way. So with this, um, are you putting you're putting the gaming systems together with the miniatures at the same time then? Absolutely. Okay. Absolutely. And, okay. and right now, the, the toughest thing for us is um, making sure that either A, we have the miniatures that we need for it, or B, that we have the, the rules for the miniatures we already have. So it's, it's kind of like, because we're starting off with both, you know, two things ready to go already. Mm-hmm. It's, mm-hmm. it's kind of like this double whammy that, that makes it actually a bigger, a bigger pie to eat at once. If you understand what I'm saying, so no, no, yeah, yeah, no, there's... no. I mean, you can't, yeah. I mean, you know, it's um, it's uh, it's kind of going back to Bill and Ted, isn't it? You can't have a righteous video if you don't have Eddie Van Halen on guitar. Absolutely, oh, <laughs> read my mind. You got to have that virtuoso there. So the so yeah, and and excitedly, it's been an exciting trip for us to 
overcome these 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 obstacles and, and learning as a game company, you know, a small plucky game company, as I like to call us. Um, yeah. It, it's been exciting for these obstacles to be overcome. We've got a, a great team of volunteers who've been helping us with rules development. They're, they're all great guys, a lot of them former military or, or former law enforcement. Mm-hmm. They, they get it intrinsically what we're doing here. We've got um, a great group of, of people from my network of former GW guys who are all over the industry still today are very much interested in the hobby that are helping us out. We've got just tons of things stacked in our favor, but it's still a lot of obstacles that we have to overcome. Yeah. from size and scope. When you're putting together something this this big, anyone can put together a crappy game, but when you want to put together a good game, there's there's a lot to it, which we didn't realize until we, we really embarked on the heavy-duty journey that this is. Well, I think it's the time thing. I mean, um, we've had a guest we've had a guest on um, a gentleman by the name of Frank West, and he just ran a really, really successful Kickstarter campaign um, where he did pretty much in your money, it would probably be the best part of about three hundred and fifty thousand mm-hmm. um, dollars, and he was looking for a budget of about thirty-five thousand mm-hmm. dollars. So he did, he pretty much almost kind of like did, I think he almost about nine times what his budget was. But he, his game, The City of Kings, when we talked to him about it, it wasn't just a case that he woke up in January and he had it on the Kickstarter by March. He said, "I've actually been working on this for two years." To kind of get the balance right and get the get the statistics right and get you know get get everything kind of working and the rules and the gameplay and even the figures down to like what the cover art was going to look like and he had a he had a lot a lot of planning. I mean, with you with you kind of moving away, being in Games Workshop, where I guess you were you had the ability to be able to say, okay, I need fifteen of these done. Could you go ahead and do that? To you being more closer to the, to I guess to the coalface, have you noticed as challenges kind of come up which you didn't think were going to come up that were going to take a lot more time? I, I would say that uh, in my in my previous role with Workshop, there were there were people who handled a good chunk of the things that I just took for granted back mm-hmm. then. That they just do that stuff, and then all I had to do was go out and handle the team that went out and sold all the stuff. You know, yeah, yeah. We, now you know I'm I'm working hand, side by side with graphic designers, sculptors, traditional mm-hmm. artists, 3D imaging specialists. Uh, you know we've got our own in-house uh, manufacturing and prototyping. We've got all sorts of stuff that we're we're juggling at once here. It's it's definitely a, a new and exciting challenge. It's like figuring out the puzzle pieces, and at the same time you're doing all this, you're trying to balance your budget. You know, not not overspend because a lot of companies they 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 aren't capitalized and they, they struggle with that too. And miniatures cost yeah. money. You know, models Oh, yeah, cost no, money. no, no. Yeah, yeah, um, yeah, yeah. You know, th- these things take time. And graphic artists, if you want good art, that costs money. So we we try to, you know, balance getting the best value for a dollar but not overspending until we're ready. So, yeah. So you've been a kind and, of a cautious... That has been uh, kind of a struggle at first. We've, we've kind of started to get the hang of it. Um, we've yeah. got a lot of room to improve, though. So I think, I think that's the biggest thing for me. Did you expect to be further along than where you were, or of you? Oh gosh! Does it surprise well, you, you? When I started a year ago, I thought I'd be bringing in millions by now. No, I'm kidding. No, uh, <laughs> <laughs> hundreds. I thought I'd be bringing in tens. 
<laughs> yeah. Uh, Are you going to eat we... that rest of that donut? <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Um, I I honestly thought I'd I definitely thought I'd be in a different situation. However, the humbling that that we got just in terms of getting the word out about our game system and 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 how that's not that people are against you. It's just it's hard to get that that word out in a way where you get enough people knowing about the games or the company yeah. or even the company. I mean, like when you say you've been around for a year and people are like, I've never heard of you. And you're like, yeah, we know, <laughs> you know, you gotta, you gotta just chew that down and then, and just say, well, what can I tell you about just us today? Well, you know, and, welcome to my world. Yeah. You're, yeah. you're, you're not what? Um, wizards. <laughs> yeah, yeah. But how are you not wizard? It's just, it's the name of the show. Yeah. But why is your, why is your email address magic? We're not, cause it's, it's ironic. <laughs> but why have I not, you know, but it's a board game podcast. Yeah. Isn't there hundreds of them? No, I've checked on iTunes. There's about three. Yeah. Can it, you know, and you got that continue. So I know where it comes from. Get, I think getting the word out when you are just from the beginning and yeah. just kind of getting the first couple of people to kind of, I guess, champion you mm-hmm. or follow you or be happy to kind of talk about your stuff. I Absolutely. Mean, and and this is really, even really, really this even includes the network of people that I know that yeah. you know you you'd think they would be like, oh yeah, I'll get the word out. But the reality is, is a lot, you know, a lot of people at Games Workshop have thought they were going to go run a game company, you know, just, just, yeah. just like, and so like, there's always that, well, let's see what he does first before I put my, my name behind this. And I can't, <laughs> I can't blame him because there's been a lot of people who've started something and you're just like, what the heck is this guy doing? We hope we're not those people and we think we're not, but it, it, it definitely has some moments where you're even some people that you thought would jump all over this and support it. You know, no one's going to support a game as much as the guy who creates it period like oh no you'll absolutely. get some champions out there but there, there's a yeah. guy who's going to put his heart and soul into it and they're fan. i mean the champions are fantastic I, I you know there's always love my know. champions and i got a few of them too that thank I, thankfully yeah and and they're just amazing people and we have people that we you know that um <clears throat> they tweet the show out on twitter they they, they always like your tweets that they've made you know, they're the guys that share. They're the guys that like the page on Facebook. You know, we've mm-hmm. got, we've got a little kind of, I guess, a kind of a non-wizarding. I we need a word for the kind of. You know how people have like, you know, the rockets and stuff like that. You know, yeah. names of things that they have. You know, you'd have the interventioners. I don't know. <laughs> Your fans, basically, and yeah. we don't have that. But there's guys out there. I mean, just as a quick shout, out, there's a guy called Rory Summers who constantly just is really really supportive to us and I've never publicly said it so thanks Rory for everything that you do but you've probably got the same as well we've got a few John, you know. we've got a few um, yeah. Steve Reismus in uh, Chicago has been fantastic we've got uh, another guy in Calixico California Richard Sparks who's been awesome he's, he's kind of talked a little bit about us so uh, I didn't realize yeah. I'd get a chance to, to mention their names in public but thanks guys it's, it's your night and, as I said you could say yeah. whatever you want <laughs> within reason uh, yeah <laughs> So, I mean, not to get too commercial, but we did just release uh, the announcement for our, our latest ultra-modern war game called DEFCON Zero. It's 20 okay. millimeter focused. It takes the it takes a, a World War III approach, but not from the old Cold War. It takes it from just a few years in the future from today. Um, things have escalated. Things have gone hot. You can check out DEFCON Zero at CovertInterventionGames.com. You'll see all the factions that we've already mm-hmm. got in the works, and you can see a little taste of the background and story that should leave you wanting more if we've done it right. Uh, so how many, I mean, 
What size? Are, what size? How many kind of miniatures are you going to have in an average, in, an, in a normal game with something like that? Well, how many well, we haven't decided exactly what a normal game is, but we're hoping to be about a platoon size engagement. <laughs> what about an, an abnormal game then? Abnormal game, <laughs> an abnormally large game would probably be about a company plus size element. So a company. And how many? How many is that for our for our? Um, That'd be about a hundred and twenty to one hundred and forty models miniatures on the table. Less. Oh, Less if you yeah. go with a, a mechanized group because some of the extra squads get removed and replaced with armored armored vehicles. But uh, right, the, the, okay. the overall factor is, is some amazing stuff with tanks and, and APCs and stuff. The average game yeah. is about mm, forty to fifty models if you're if you're going big. Cool. Yeah. Okay. What kind of um, do you want to talk us? Tell us a little bit about the system for it, how it kind of works. I mean, one of the things we like to do on the show is we never like to assume that people know. Well, people normally don't know what I'm talking about anyway. I mean, I accept that. That's not just for the podcast. That's my life. Mm-hmm. But um, absolutely, we you know. But sometimes you know we like we don't want people to say we don't want to to assume that people have played Catan for us. Oh yeah, so, yeah. yeah. So sometimes you just like to see, you know, you want to ex- maybe explain, go a little bit more into the mechanics, maybe just give a rough idea of what people would expect, you know, because people will go to like, the, they go to the local games club where I go and they would see the kind of the 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 skirmish games kind of going on and they'll see, um, you know, they'll see things like boat action and stuff like that going on, but they've never been tempted to jump in because they're not sure of what the mechanics would be. So if they were playing, um, if they're playing DefCon Zero, how how would the game kind of work? Well, I'm glad you asked. That's a, a very good question. We are still in uh, beta, and we're releasing right. later in June. We're going to open up the closed beta. People will get an opportunity, not a guarantee, of being in closed beta if they're in the inner circle email registration list. They they get a shot at that and. That is uh, that is kind of a cool thing to be in. We'll, we'll throw a couple extra things to the people who help us out with that. Mm-hmm. They got to be serious gamers. They've got to actually be playing the game. So we'll have some yeah. we'll have some filters for that too. But to to address some some basic big picture stuff with it, there's three phases. Yeah. Um, but the 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 main part of the game occurs in the in the action and reaction phases that go with our game. The Initiative, unlike a lot of other games, will change hands potentially based on what you do. Mm-hmm. There's uh, the biggest problem we've seen in a lot of games is that they they have this this scenario on the tabletop, and everybody knows what the scenario is. And so it's like everybody knows that somebody's tr- that we need to capture this one building on the table. Everybody mm-hmm. knows it, so everybody tools their forces up and tools their game up and, and places their forces accordingly. But that's not how real combat works. Mm-hmm. When you get into contact with somebody, you don't know what their mission and intent is, and they don't know what yours is either. And your job mm-hmm. on the tactical tabletop is to figure out that mission and try to prevent them from accomplishing theirs while you still accomplish yours. So we've created a system with mission cards and scenarios where the scenario and the missions are not necessarily one and the same. They're actually separate. And so there's four categories of missions that you get to play. There's mm-hmm. offensive missions, defensive missions, enabling missions, and stability missions. And within those those categories, there's multiple specific missions you can select from. So when you get to a scenario, which may be like around the bend, is the one we've yeah. been testing for the last couple of weeks. We even did a couple demos 
for some very nice folks at Little Wars recently. Uh, okay. We we let them see the tabletop and we explained this is the scenario for the tabletop, and then we said you could pick missions from either of these two categories for both sides, and so now you've got players who are may have an offensive mission and the other guy either has an offensive mission or a defensive mission. And you don't okay. necessarily know what that is unless they, they do something on the table that helps you get some kind of indicator. That being said, you still get your victory points if you accomplish your mission regardless of what your opponent does. All right. And your opponent still gets their victory points regardless of what you do. Uh-huh. Your goal is to so, try to do both, though. So. so it's not just a straight, there's the bad guys, or there's the good guys, or there's the in-between guys, just go and wipe them out. There uh, is a case that actually... The the jot it's almost like you've got to tool up your team for the potentiality of what the other side are going to do, but at the yeah. same time you've got to maintain a strong squad to make sure you cover your own objective, essentially. Just, just like in real life, you have to maintain a tactically flexible unit. Okay. So you can't... Your, your min-maxing will occur in any game. It, it's just going to yeah. happen. We know that will happen. This is yeah. one of those factors that if you attempt to do that, you're going to fail at a lot of missions if you min-max only towards one capability, mm-hmm. one tactical okay. choice. Because it forces other people to both try to stop their opponent as well as accomplish their own mission. And you cannot do that if you're tooled up too much one way or another. So, so. are you are you looking at working towards a campaign? Then to what, I mean, is, is this going to be part of a campaign? Have you got the ability to play maybe... A small kind of four or five mission campaign, and have you have you got views to having maybe ones that are ten, fifteen, twenty missions? I am not at liberty to say. However, we have oh, some capabilities. We definitely have Mr. some amazing Denton. capabilities coming that is going to blow your mind. Stuff that like there is stuff in here. We talk to war gamers, and we're like, "What if you could do this?" And they're like, "I want to play that game." And we're oh, like, this is going to be too easy. Yeah, it's 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 got the bigger it scales up well. So, if you want to go to uh, you know twelve foot long tables, fifty foot long tables, you can do that at a yeah. big convention, and you still have oh. an amazing game. So all our scales are mm-hmm. uh, match real life. So uh, if this tank can shoot four thousand meters in real life, then the tank can shoot four thousand meters on the table. Uh, not 4,000 me- actual meters, but 4,000 scaled down <laughs> meters. <laughs> that would be amazing if a little tank could do that. <laughs> that but, yeah. Where are you going? I'm going um, I'm going down the shops um, to get some milk. Yeah. Okay, well, we're, I'm shooting you from here. Uh, yeah, exactly. <laughs> exactly. You better run. You better run. Exactly. You know, but you're not, you're not, you know, you're not telling me things. I feel like, you know, I was getting towards being able to call you Reed. Uh-huh. I feel that I've slipped back to only being able to call you John, <laughs> and even potentially into the back into the Mister Denton. Oh no, no, don't, don't just shut, just don't, shut me don't down. Don't kill me, it's don't kill me. The, so, from a mechanics perspective, though, there there is definitely your ability to move and shoot can be done at any point. So you can okay. move and shoot. You can shoot and move. You can move a little, shoot, move a little more. Oh. Uh, Overwatch is capable. You're rewarded for actual tactical gameplay for the use of cover and concealment, and your opponent, uh-huh. and you're also rewarded for having covering fire and suppressive fire against your enemies. Okay. So the impact is a is an actual in-game impact to your opponent's ability to fire on you when you suppress them, and, yeah. and that that is how you you engage your foes in real life. So we've seen some benefits of that. However, what we also know is is just like in real life, some of these firefights can be quick and brutal. 
So if you set your guys up right, your, your, your infantry up right, and they're in position, and, mm. and they're able to light up the enemy with concentrated fire very quickly, you can, you can brutally win a game in a very short period of time after that first engagement. So do you get, I mean, in terms of the mechanics, is it kind of like you you attack with a certain number of dice and the defenders defend kind of thing? Or is it a case that I'm attacking you and you just have to take the attack that I'm taking? No. You know. No, no, no. You don't just have to take it. As a matter of fact, if you, if you set it up right, Theoretically, your opponent can interrupt your move and attempt to fire first. And at that point, it comes down to what we call the capability of the forces. So we have what are called okay. capability ratings. And the higher your capability rating, the more likely you are to achieve the goals you want as opposed to your opponent. Uh -huh. So what typically winds up happening is, is higher-trained Western armies versus lower-trained not-Western armies. There tends to be a little bit of asymmetric size difference. Which mm -hmm. is how it is in real life as well. So you'll find that uh, your your American forces will tend to be smaller than your uh, Middle Eastern counterparts, or even lower-ended yeah. conscripted Russians, for example. Okay. You'll have you'll have a lot more of them on the table versus the Americans, uh -huh. or the the British or whoever it is you want the UK forces. Yeah. So we we found that the the mechanic overall has been very effective at showing what, what real combat can be, but we added that layer of gamification where you can your commander can help make sure your troops hold the line at that critical juncture and, and some mm -hmm. of those factors that makes it a little, just a hair gamey that make, mm. that, that because it would be very, very not fun if, you know, the Abrams tank smokes everything you know, in turn one and they call it a day you know Exactly. You, know, you spent half an hour setting everything up, yep. and then it's just like, and then boom. Like, ten seconds later, it's Miller time. You can't do that. Bye. So, yeah. <laughs> so we we do have some some key components for that. It's it's been pretty pretty solid for us so far. Do you still? Is there still a lot of reliance on dice? In yeah, terms of we definitely have dice. Yeah. The okay. dice though are stacked to the, the statistical ability of those units. So. You know, the the higher your you'll you'll right. you may have a, a D eight for a modern U.S. force that's well trained uh, against the D six of a, yeah. a lower ended force, and that is the the shooting versus moving, and then body armor comes into play, cover and concealment okay. comes into play, thermal imagers could come into play potentially. Uh, we have rules for accidental fires being set, and then purposefully setting fires because uh, it happens. Um, yeah, you know, your average tracer round does have some incendiary effects potentially. So, okay, yeah, okay. Yeah. Would you ever consider moving away from kind of dice altogether, or do you think it's still an important, an important part? Well, the dice are there to create a, st uh, a statistical weight and advantage, yes. but just like in real combat, not everything goes the way you intend, and so yeah. there there has to be an element of things going wrong and it does it does happen mm -hmm. you know you think you're going to hit those guys but you miss mm -hmm. you, you stack the averages up so that you you do a lot more with groups of teams of people than than individuals okay um if you could show me a system that that does it better than dice uh i would be happy to use that um card systems are just way too random that's like the double orange in candy land you know 
yeah, uh, yeah. We, we're not really happy with the effects that that can have and then it creates one more crazy thing on the table whereas most people have plenty of dice laying around yeah so we think that the the user adoption rate actually goes up with when you have the, the a mechanic that creates the same effect but also yeah. reduces the the load on them for having to pick up yet one more crazy thing mm-hmm, you know? mm-hmm, mm-hmm. yeah i've seen it i mean i've seen um i've seen kind of hybrid kind of difference between like say the use of cards and the use of dice but generally usually the use of cards would be on the the enemy kind of ai side oh yeah solitaire games of, you know, yeah well even um the dark i think the new dark souls game that's out the enemies themselves don't roll dice at all you know oh. you, if you're defending against the if you're defending against them they they always attack they always have an attack value of say like a four, mm-hmm. and you have got to defend. You, you 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 take your armor into account and you roll number of dice based on your armor, and then and that's kind of thing, and that kind of works kind of kind of well because you know there's a standard that the enemy is always going to try and hit you at, and then the luck side of things comes into your kind of preparation is with you know which is always the kind of the, the consideration. Um, <clears throat> I mean, you're talking modern. You know, obviously, modern and slightly moderner warfare. Mm-hmm. Are is that the only genre that you guys are tackling? Are you going into are you going into anything else at all? That oh you know? yeah, we absolutely are. We have modern sci-fi uh, in a couple. Are you going to tell me about it? I would love to. I would love to tell you about it. Arc Shadow Wars is our modern sci-fi game that we're also in development with. It shares some base mechanics with uh, DefCon Zero, for example. That is, you know, it's funny we were mentioning cards because that is actually something we are looking at, some mechanics that will use cards uh, yeah. for some of what we call our psych magics. We've we've got a lot of cool stuff coming with that. We, we like to joke that that is a combination of uh, True Lies, Warehouse 13, and uh, Men in Black, and the X-Files all rolled <laughs> into one. So there's a lot of cool stuff in there, uh, a lot of cool factions in development. We've already got some miniatures already put out for it just because like, we, we had them and we said, well, why should we wait to put these out? People want these miniatures for everything. Yeah. So we've got our undercover agents, which have been really hot. Um, those were actually sculpted originally by Bob Naismith. He's the guy who's done a lot of stuff for some other companies, including uh, Games Workshop. Mm-hmm, uh, mm-hmm. Our SWAT team... Is, is pretty doggone good looking and we've got zombies but we have a ton more stuff coming in the next few months for it that is just going to rock your worlds um, the the most exciting thing about it is is that it shares some of that realistic weapons ranges but it gives us the open endedness to create our own vehicles, weapon systems and some other crazy stuff we've got some interesting stuff going on with drones that I think is going to be exciting to some players here soon too um it's just been... Have they have they brought them in? Because I've not, I've not, I don't think I've seen. I've seen kind of you get obviously flying creatures in the fantasy kind of games, but I don't think I've ever seen kind of drone technology kind of used before. There's there's a very limited what drones can do even today, and, yeah. and still reflect on the tabletop. Uh, it's like yeah. it's so we've we've looked at what's what's near horizon and coming out. We have drones for both games, of course, but. We, mm-hmm. we really have some really funny stuff going on with, with Arc Shadow Wars. So the, the zombies there in Arc Shadow Wars are a faction. It is not a zombie game. A lot of people have, have thought we're making yet another zombie game. You know, like, there isn't enough of those right now. There's, I mean, it's up, up, right up there with, um, with 
board game podcasts. Exactly. Exactly. <laughs> exactly. It, zombies are just one of many factions that are coming. And, and if you go to our website, you know, and, and you punch in Arc Shadow Wars, I think right there on the homepage, you'll see right there Arc Shadow Wars. You click yeah. on that and just click on Arc Shadow Wars. Don't, don't drop down for the products. You'll see a quick background and, and description that talks about uh, how the world is, is, is this adjacent, you know, conspiracy that's running alongside everything that we're doing and so we we make jokes about some of the conspiracies out there because they're just too ridiculous even for our game and then we take some of those conspiracies that people have come up with and we we turn them into you know either factions forces scenarios or 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 funny stuff and uh, the funniest thing so far is about how our zombies once they once the virus takes over their brain they then have this incredible rewiring of their brains that forces them to seek out things that are warm that they can eat. They have this hunger, this uncanny hunger to eat them, which has resulted in some cases of them chasing humans down the street, of course, and dogs and anything else they can get their hands on. Yeah, but it's yeah. also resulted in a, the occasional zombie attempting to eat a space heater. So <laughs> it's there's there's definitely some comedy that we try to sprinkle into some of our stuff too because we, we like to have fun and who doesn't want to have you know some fun at the game table too is there because if you if you've played games you've joked with your buddies as you're going along with what's really going on at the table if you haven't then then you're you're probably either way either way yeah I mean you're not yeah I mean there are the kind of the serious serious kind of you know oh you sunk my battleship yeah it's like yeah no but I was you know you're playing battleships come on this yeah. is a board game club yeah kind of thing but. Yeah. Yeah, there are yeah there are people that take it very very seriously, and they're completely entitled to do that. Absolutely. Absolutely. At the same time, there is nothing funnier than having a good laugh over something that yeah, comes up, which just looks absolutely ridiculous. If you can convince your opponent zombies to walk right off that roof to chase whatever's out there, and they fall that's to brilliant. their death, that's that's a perfectly good tactical option. That's so, legitimate. Yeah, absolutely. I think that's in the handbook. I mean, yeah, I think yeah. that you know, you know, I think that's in the. I think there's a zombie land handbook with his rules, and I think that's rule 47. Yeah. Try and get your zombies to walk off a high building. That's right. And then, and, <laughs> you know, I think rule number one is cardio. It still is. <laughs> it still is. It still rule is. number two is a double tap, yeah. isn't it? Yeah. And then when you get into the Mad Scientist organization, which is, yeah. you know, we're just starting to put that together. We just got our Mad Scientist Masters in recently. And that's going to have you know, your typical different variations of the mad scientists from the old Pulps novels brought into the modern era. So there's like Dr. Death or, or you know, Mrs. Evil or whatever you want to call them. <laughs> and then when we create, create giant hedgehogs with lasers that work for them because they create mutants and, and all sorts of other crazy stuff. You have to do that. Yeah, then. yeah, we're, we're, we're working on it. You know, giant hedgehogs do not make themselves very easy, especially when you're trying to install the lasers in their skulls. They, they really fight you, so... We've been working. Yeah, on but that. You, you can imagine just that. Yeah. Just imagine, um, Grim Slingers. When Stephen Stephen S. Gibson was on, he has a character which is a red panda. Mm-hmm. A red panda. I love that. That's thing. all you need in the game. Red, yeah, exactly. Everybody yeah. loves red pandas, but this red panda's badass. Yeah. If you had hedgehogs with lasers. Oh yeah. That's a oh, winner. Yeah. That's a winner. Well, and, and giant nuclear irradiated spiders. Uh, we also have, you know, because every mad scientist group has their minions, right? So we have, yeah. w- right now we've created terrorist minions. We're going to have a few different types of minions that they're, they're going to run around for them. They're uh-huh. they're not always the brightest guys, but they'll follow them to their deaths. So we, we've got minions. You know, we, you got to have them. 
And then we've got other other factions coming on down the line. When you see our aliens, our various different aliens, you're either going to laugh, you're going to cry, or you're going to you're going to say spot on, man, and try to give us a high five from there. Is it difficult when you're doing the aliens not to fall into the kind of the normal kind of tropes that you see for aliens? It's like the big head, the big eyes, or the one that looks like the kind of the alien, or the one that looks like the big huge bruiser. Is it difficult to kind of come up with a design for an alien with, especially if you've been, I mean. Especially if you've had your little bit of gene stealer kind of yeah, yeah, I've got, love and stuff like that, uh, you know. I kind of have an addiction to purple and blue. That's true. Uh, the 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 thing I'll tell you is, we we will take from the best of everything. So, do we have an alien race that looks like the prototypical alien race? Yes, because people want okay. them. However, yes. however, the background for those particular aliens, I can't say much, but I can tell you they're hysterical. Um, <laughs> They're 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 not what you think at first. They're they're actually just little sleaze balls, is what they are. But that's another story altogether. <laughs> okay. I mean, let's face it. How many how many times can aliens probe a person and find out what they need? But they keep doing it. Well, why do exactly. they keep doing it? You know, because <laughs> well, they like exactly. it. <laughs> exactly. Uh, so, and then we've got other ones that are that are not in your typical uh, alien trope, but they're very much a high sci-fi capable. Uh, thought out group of stuff and, and some what if mm-hmm. scenarios if uh, some things moved forward the way they could the so will they follow the base mechanics that um say like defcom zero follow i mean if you're playing defcom zero system is it quite easy for you to go and play arc or is it a completely is there changed mechanics in it there's there's very similar mechanics in the base cool. layers in the base layers once you get to the advanced stuff, there's definitely some differences. One of the reasons that Ark Shadow Wars is going to take a little bit longer is because it has just a few more layers to it that we have to install for the sci-fi stuff. Yeah. Um, and and it's one of those things that if we get it wrong, it'll break the game. So we have to we have to go a little slower with that stuff, um, and and get that knocked out. But once that's done, it it's it's going to be a flagship kind of game for us. We think. Cool. And then you, you you mentioned one other thing. You know, we we got really lucky uh, a couple weeks ago. We were approached by the the maker of a game called Bio Syndrome. Yes. And we excitedly uh, took a look through it, and, and we agreed to take over that game system and the support for it, and doing a heck of a lot more to help support it further. And we've worked with the, the, the original creator of the game. We've worked with a couple of his, his top people who've really been the champions of that game in the past. And we're still working with them even now. We, we, we excitedly are putting some stuff together. And we're going to give it away for free. Just the same way that the, manufa- that the guy who created this, the, the, the maker, yeah. originally anticipated. He had a successful Kickstarter a few years ago. Yeah. Uh, and we're just just exactly the opportunity he was looking for to, to give the game some some stronger life and stronger legs and and he was our opportunity to showcase a game that that also use our miniatures for the people that are in our inner circle email list they get the game sent to them for free they'll get the links to it and everything else in the meantime they can go to uh, Facebook and look up bio syndrome or Facebook yeah. and look up covert intervention games and ask us about it and we will we will direct them towards that stuff and get them set. and all that stuff all that stuff all this good stuff will be put into the into the show notes oh thanks as well awesome yeah oh yeah, yeah. absolutely yeah, oh, yeah. that goes with that goes with the question have you got anything else on the boil anything else I, simmering away I've got uh, probably six thousand new miniature sculpts that we've got to get molded 
and that's what's really on the boil is, is just getting the miniatures out there. Oh, um, and then we've got a number of tanks that we're, we're working. We're just trying to make sure that our production chain for tanks hits the quality threshold. But once that happens and once we figure out what that, that system needs to look like to create, you know, a new tank, get it through, mm. pro, you know, get it through prototyping, get it through production and start producing and then let people know about it, what that process looks like, the faster and faster we can do this. Um, and we're, we're really excited about the, the opportunity to make that happen. Tanks, tanks combined with a 20 millimeter offering from the same company is, is almost a new thing. All right. Okay. That's cool. Then. Yeah, so, uh, they'll, uh, people can of course play with anything they've already got. You know, some people like mm. hot wheels and matchbox cars. I've, I've got a few out here right now that I'm working with because I don't even have trucks of my own. <laughs> So it's, it's, it's been a joy. The other thing is, is we're working on a scenery line too. I mean, that's, that's the Holy grail. Once we can do all that, if we can yeah. get the matching scenery, uh, we've already got stuff in the works. It's just a matter of how fast can we produce it at the quality level that it has to be. at. So, yeah. So, I mean, are you, I mean, are you looking, cause a lot of the stuff that you do is lead. So with 3d printing and things like that, I mean, obviously, three D three D printing is kind of always up in the air with regards to the kind of the quality that you'll get. You'll always get a reasonable size quality that might need some additional work done. But are you going down the resin route, the plastic route, other routes as well? For our vehicles and scenery, everything will probably start off with uh, resin. Okay. If if we get big enough, you know, you know, fingers crossed, we we can actually do that and service enough enough hobbyists who are excited about what we're doing. Uh-huh. Um, then we'll we'll look at transitioning into plastic first thing and, and make everybody even happier. It's just uh-huh. a matter of do we have the the threshold to do it and do it right and not not overextend ourselves. We want to. Everybody yeah. wants plastic tanks. Plastic tanks rock. You can do all sorts of cool things with the inside of a plastic tank. Absolutely. You know, so. But the machinery and stuff like that to actually get you in the position to be able to do your own molding and stuff like that. I mean that costs a. It costs an awful lot of money to get that kind of set up, set up, you know. Well, we've we've done a pretty good job getting ourselves into position so far. We've we've got access if we don't own it outright to some of the most oh. high detailed prototyping equipment out there. Um, we we have a lot of friends who do this kind of stuff for for a living in other industries that that love what we're doing and are excited about it. Um, it's just been a, a, a real. I, I'd have to say that if it wasn't for my network of, of good people and friends that are kind of mm. supportive and, and we're supportive of them in other ways too. I, I don't know that, that we would have been this far along. And so uh, the miniatures, the, the models that we have forthcoming, it's, it's all because of a bunch of great people coming together and, and you know, excitedly helping us create something. We, we get asked all the time when we do pre-painted miniatures and stuff like that. And we're just not going to do that. It's, it's not been successful in any either a getting the product out fast enough or it's, atrophying the hobby and we're just not interested in that it's the other side of it as well as there is kind of um there's people that like to have something that they can do themselves there mm-hmm. was the um there was a recent campaign by weta for giant killer robots and the main pledge everything was pre-painted but they had an additional pre-pledge which costs i think it was something like 150 dollars you could get it for and um 
it was unpainted. And they were like, well, this is fine, but we go through a production process, and if you want us to stop our production process before we set down and do the painting, then you're going to cost you kind of more money if you just want the miniatures kind of by themselves. So that's... Yeah, I think people want to put their stamp on stuff. There's a lot of guys I see at the club that kind of customise stuff a little bit. They kind of make it their own. I mean, there's obviously just the, the kind of the painting stuff itself. I mean, do you do you paint? Have you? Are you going to, you know, do you get time at all to kind of... Okay, do you get time to enjoy the hobby still? I mean, have you still got firmly the kind of the, the business head now on or do you get time to kind of to play yourself anymore? Um, I would say I have the business hat on more than I don't. The okay. the toughest thing for for me is, is when you're sitting down to hobby, you always wonder is like, is there something else I should be doing to to make my company yeah. more noted, known around the the hobby community? And that's the toughest thing is, is you're always thinking right now, I'm not I'm not big enough yet. I'm not big enough yet. At the same time, if if I ever lose the passion for the hobby i'm a dead man in this game because you've got to be excited about miniatures somehow and if you come yeah. off as like oh god not another miniature you're just never gonna make it you're never gonna make it you might as well just fold up right there man it's just um so no i have you know right in front of me uh probably two platoons of different forces for forthcoming lines and ranges that we're, we're producing that i've still got to paint up um every thursday we do additional uh, all-volunteer testing for games and stuff. But typically once a month we have what we call Hobby Knot, and that is that our night that we just sit down and we paint. Now sometimes yeah. that's stuff we paint for our company, and sometimes I, I've, we've had people come in and bring their own miniatures from other companies' stuff and, and do that. Yeah. We don't talk about that because we're okay with people seeing other people's miniature companies on the side, just not while they're in our position. But, yeah, uh, yeah. you know, but, but you know, they, I can't I can't stop people from doing great things with their hobbies, so we definitely no. want to encourage that. And the things they take from that immediately, you know, can be applied to our miniatures as well. So we, we're totally okay with that. So about once a month, we definitely have an all-hands, you know, hobby day for themselves. And then we also, you know, I still paint pretty much uh, at least two to three days a week for well, all sorts of stuff. I've been lucky. You... I've had people who actually know what they're doing teach me some things about painting and I've tried to follow it. <laughs> See, it's not just like do the dark wash, yeah, and then, then then get white, and then do highlights. What what do you on everything? What are you currently using for painting yourself, Richard? I don't. This is the thing. I am. I'm a. You know what? I'm a. I used to, and Richard, I'd like to get back into it. Richard, yeah? uh, you can start yeah? referring to me as Mister Denton again. Oh. I'm sorry. No, no, no. <laughs> Oh dear! I mean, I can't believe there's so much talent in your backyard where you're at. They would love to help you learn how to paint. It's, I mean, I there's there's a lot of talent that. here I too. But the European talent and collected talent out there is just off the charts. Yeah, yeah. People people sign up and and fill up every class from some of these European masters when they come out here for the various different conventions and stuff like that. Within seconds, they, when they find out a class is open. Everybody's trying to get in that class, and they're right Mr. there. Mr. Denton, Mr. Denton, I am I am quite old now. <laughs> Richard, my hand, my hand shakes. Richard, do you know, what I Richard, mean? 
you know, a little alcohol will solve everything for you. I, I don't. <laughs> you know? No, because then I would end up just going around. I end up going around painting moustaches oh, and everything. Okay. I have an entire. I have an entire old squad of Tyranids and Gene Stealers and Chaos Marines that all look wonderful because they're painted pristine, but every single one of them has a little black curly moustache because they're all evil, and that's what evil people have, is little black curly moustaches. And every single one of them without fail. I am not... Do you know what? I am... I, I draw, and I paint, but it's on flat things that can't move. It's on flat things that, you know... That, that I can focus on. I, I, I need glasses now. So, you know, me trying to look at something which is very small and paint it at the same time, I'm probably more likely to end up painting my hand. <laughs> that is the truth. You know what I mean? Well, well, I'm going to end up with a lovely blood angel emblem on my thumb nine times out of ten, oh Mr. My, Denton. Oh, my god! You know, I, I can't... <laughs> I can't... Seriously, you know, if you, you know... If you give me a flat canvas and you ask me to to draw, um, you know, if you said, okay, what I want you to do is I want you to draw, um, it's, um, you know, bright colored explosion, um, you know, impact of something, you know, draw me a couple of people kind of running away. I could I can do all that for you. Just don't ask me to do it in 3D form, because then it would end up looking like. Um, it would end up look at like I was trying to um, like it was a Calvin and Hobbes kind of cartoon, and Calvin had just got overzealous <laughs> with the red and blue paint. This is you know that's the kind of thing that I'm, I'm you know. Richard, there's, I, I, there's I would definitely just be wasting some, people's time. There's definitely some therapy that we can get you through. I used to have to spend I, <laughs> I don't know how many hours per day teaching ten and twelve year olds how to paint at Games Workshop. If I could teach a ten I, and twelve year old, I, I could no, teach I, you. I think I need to be in the eight-year-old class. I mean, this is how you know. This is where we, you know, hey, brush. Hey, hey, man, we can do that. We can we can work you up. Okay, well, that's we'll fine. make some Richard special tutorials on how to paint mustaches <laughs> on on some of our gangsters because we've got a great World War Two line as well. But we've got some some gangsters and and pulps. Yeah, I mean, you, you didn't even talk about the gangsters. You oh, know, now, now where oh, everybody's yeah. going to be on board. Oh yeah. Well, you got to <laughs> leave some mystery out there. So. You have to, because yeah. otherwise, I mean, otherwise, there's no point in having something like a website. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> where yeah. people, can, where people go can just go on. It. Just people can just go on and find. Yeah. I will tell. I will tell you what. Right. I will. I will. Um, I will. And I promised, like this. Well, this time last year, I think I promised that I would. Um, I would play Magic: The Gathering, and I did, and I played about four games, and it's still rubbish. Yeah, that that but that, that will... podcast was actually pretty hysterical. <laughs> <laughs> well, yeah, I, I, w- I promise this time, okay, thank you very much for that, Mr. Denton. Yeah. I will promise this by this time, okay, give me six months, okay, I will buy or I will go into my old um, collection and I will paint a figure and I will put it on display on the website and across social media. Six months, so it is the... It is the it is it is the beginning of May, Richard. So say Richard. by this time in November, it will be ready and painted and pristine. Oh, Richard, I'm gonna one up you. What's that? I'm gonna I'm gonna send you some minis. <laughs> no. Oh yeah, I'm gonna send you a, a, a small little pack of minis. You, you can ruin them. When you get done with those, <laughs> let me know. I'll send you another okay. pack, and okay. then you can you can do those right. Okay, now, that's fine. I, I'm pretty that's sure that there's some, some some people up there that can help you. 
I'm pretty sure. You know, there's a whole crew at Dwarf that will help me out. Oh, exactly. Then I'm sure. You, you, there you go. Well, everything, everything will be fine. The only thing is, everything if you do a podcast about it, you can't do the wizard voice for that podcast. Ah, uh, I don't know. I think that'd be cool. I'd have to do like a Bob Ross. Ha- <laughs> and here we're paying, painting happy mustaches. Happy mustaches. <laughs> exactly. right? Got it. I'm just, I'm just gonna put this. Um, I'm just gonna put this blue here. I'm just gonna. I'm gonna, I'm gonna take my brush and I'm just gonna dry brush this and. He's a happy little Terranid, isn't he? He's happy. Mm-hmm. Happy man. Yeah. I'm just going to do that. Yeah. Do an entire thing. Happy terrorists. Season. We'll have happy terrorists for you. <laughs> yeah. No problem. See, oh, look, he's happy. Yeah. He's happy. <laughs> he has no idea what he's about to walk into, but he's happy. Yeah. <laughs> Where can people find you on the internet webs? We are easily Mr. found Denton. at www.covertintervention.com. No spaces, no underscores. Okay. If you punch in Covert Intervention Games, if you do a search for DEFCON Zero, if you do a search for Arc Shadow War, chances are you'll find us on the web, on Facebook, or on Twitter and Instagram. We are fairly easily found. And we, of course, will be putting all of this in the show notes so that we have notes to show. Absolutely. This has been... It's been entertaining and educational. Richard, it's been outstanding. Uh, You know, and like I said, we're just a plucky little game company that's starting out and figuring out all these things that we thought we knew that we didn't. You know, (laughs) if if you want to talk again, I would love to tell you, hey, look, we figured out all this other stuff that we didn't really know that we didn't know. Oh, you have to come back, because when you come back on, you become a repeat offender. Oh. Just like Brian Wade did. Yeah, but I'm not doing a wizard voice. It's just not going to happen. You can do any, I don't know. I think we could do, um, we could do any type of voice. We could, um, I'll tell you what, you could pretend to be Scottish and I could pretend to be from Arkansas. Lad, I don't think you'd like that very much. <laughs> I just, I just haven't drank that much, ever. Not ever. It's not gonna happen. Nobody speaks like nobody goes automatically. We're not a nation of alcohol. <laughs> yes, you are. Hey, let's create golf. Hey, oh let's goodness, let's man. go live in the foggy lands because it's a great idea. No, no. Hey, you, let's make you, let's make haggis. Let's make haggis. Oh my goodness! You sound like Shrek I now, do. Mr. Denton. I do. I'm terrible. <laughs> I didn't say I'd do a good job of it. <laughs> no, no. You just, you just stay right there, son. <laughs> We're gonna have words with you later on. Oh, you, this isn't gonna be pretty at all. I'm telling you that just now. <clears throat> anyway, so we will put all this. <laughs> Oh, this, see, this is the thing. Every single episode, the last two minutes, it just descends into chaos. I it don't does. know what is going on with you people. It's because we're having a good time. There you go. Um, now, if you, we're going to put all this stuff in the show notes so we have notes to show. If you want to keep an eye on what we're up to, and God, God bless you for doing that, um, you can find us on Twitter at We're Not Wizards. We're on Facebook at We're Not Wizards. We are on Instagram at We're Not Wizards. You can search us, and new episodes are going up on YouTube automatically now, thanks to Podbean, because they've been delicious in doing stuff like that for us. Um, you can find us on iTunes. You just search for Wizard, We're Not Wizards, uh, or We're Not Wizards Gaming Tabletop Podcast, and you will find us. If you like what you've heard tonight, then just give us a rating. I mean, apparently that does wonderful things for us. 
Now remember, don't give us a 10, because that makes us big-headed. But don't give us a 1, because that makes us cry. Just go in the middle, like a 5. Because it's, you know, average. And we are, you know, very, very average. Well, I have been average. But Mr. John Reed Denton, however, has been absolutely fantastic. There are only two things left to do. First of all, thank you very much for coming on. Oh, it's been you. a been, lot of good fun. You've made it easy for me. Thank you. <laughs> no, I just, you know, I we just had a chat, which is always just, it's always good fun when that happens. But there are just two things to do. The first thing is to remember that we are many things, but we're not wizards. We're definitely not wizards. We're definitely not wizards, Reed. <laughs> And the second thing is to say goodbye. So it is a goodbye from, as I say, the very, very informative and just very interesting all-round wonderful man that is Mr. (laughs) Denton. (laughs) I think you just gave me a 10 rating. What was that? There you go. So say say goodbye, John. (laughs) Goodbye, John. (laughs) And it's a goodbye from me. Stay safe. Roll sixes. Check out um, Cover Intervention, um, and we'll put links, lots of links in the show. Um, remember, it's not just about your strategy, it's also about your tactics. Or something like that, I don't know if you even got that right. That's, that sounded very deep. It did, it, did sound, it did sound very, very deep, and that's not like me. But until next time, goodbye. <laughs>